Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be here on this uh, sunny morning. It's rather hot, isn't it? <laughs> Hopefully, uh, you'll be kept awake and uh, not perspire too much. Now, we're going to read from God's Word, and we're going to read from Mark chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to the Gospel of Mark and turn to chapter 14. And if you don't have one, then I will read, don't worry, well, I'll tell everyone this, I'll read as accurately and clearly as I can. The first 16 verses of Mark chapter 14. And God's word says this. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready there, and ready There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And that is God's word read to us today, and we trust that God will speak to each and every one of us through his word. You know, because everyone does respond. Everyone does respond this. We always respond when we read God's word in one way or another. And what we read as we go through Mark's gospel 
particularly as we have been doing, is that people, when they encounter Jesus Christ, there is always a response to him. There is always a response to him. That response is either negative or positive. There is never a neutral ground. So even those who neglected what he said were responding negatively. And let me tell you, it's true today that we will encounter Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture, and you as an individual will respond today to him. You will respond today to him. People respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, early on, when we started some many months ago in Mark's Gospel, one of the first uh, people we encountered was uh, Matthew or Levi, as the Lord Jesus says about him, as Mark writes about him. And we, we read there that Levi was sitting at the tax booth. That's where he was working. And Jesus said, follow me. His response, he rose and he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. In the next chapter, in Mark chapter 3, we could see there the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he healed a man with a withered hand. The evidence was there. You, you couldn't dispute that he had done that. And what was the response of the Pharisees? They held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So we've read today of these very same people wanting to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is not new. That was what they wanted to do from the start of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That was their response. And they just got harder and harder in their hearts. And one of the earliest parables that we see in Mark's gospel, the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, Lord Jesus tells a, a parable about a man who sows seed, and it falls in different soils. The seed is always the same seed. And he says, well, the meaning of the parable is this. That seed resembles the, the word of God. And the word of God comes and is preached. And there are different responses. You might remember that parable. Some fell on hard ground, resembling those who, who just paid no attention, were hardened to the truth of the gospel. Then there were those who same, seemed to give a response, a temporary response. But when other things became more attractive, the things of this world, that they went for that instead. There were others who gave a response, and that was temporary, but when a bit of hardship came, then they, they turned away from the word of God. And then there were some. Then there were some. Responds in good soil. And so Mark brings before us there are always responses to Jesus Christ. And you and I will respond to him. And as we come to this chapter today, Mark chapter 14, what we've read, there's a real contrast in people who respond. Amazing to think that they've seen the same evidence. They've had the same things put before them, the same person, the same works done. And there is such a contrast in their response to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to think how Mark isn't so much interested in giving names of people. You know, these, in some of these sections are recorded elsewhere, and the authors of the Gospels give the names of people. And I'll tell you what those names are. But Mark's not so interested in that. He gives the responses of people to Jesus Christ. How do they respond? And we'll think today... Well, think of uh, the hatred of some, the hatred of some. They, they wanted to eliminate Jesus Christ. They wanted to eliminate Jesus Christ. We'll think of one who loved, uh, and so she worshipped. 
She loved the Lord Jesus Christ and she worshipped. She was devoted. We'll think of another one and really he was disappointed with Jesus Christ. Yes, for the wrong reasons, but he was disappointed and he sought to betray him. And then finally, we'll see those who are followers who, who, who will seek to serve him. They're imperfect in many ways, but they will seek to serve him. So four res- responses today, which we could really group into two, accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ. And the question is, where are we? Where are you? Accepting, embracing the Lord Jesus Christ, or rejecting who he truly is. So let's think about that. Mark puts in then this chronological marker in in our first verse. It is two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The the word Passover is mentioned five times in Mark's gospel. The the only time it's mentioned in this section, five times all in this section that we have. Mark is bringing before us the very fact that it is going to be the Passover. The Passover, for those of us who do not know or need a little reminder, as we often do, was an extremely important festival in the life of the Jewish people. They, They looked back and they were remembering how God had saved them as a nation. They, 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 years ago, years ago, their forefathers had been enslaved in Egypt. They were helpless. They were, they were in bondage in slavery. And they cried out to God. They weren't a perfect people. They were a sinful people, but they were helpless. And they cried out to God, and God rescued them. And they remembered that. And God told them to remember that on this annual basis at the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread. And what happened by, you know, a little broad summary of what happened at the Passover is that they took a lamb and they would sacrifice the lamb. Because that's what they did on the very first Passover back in Egypt. God had said there would be a judgment upon the land, upon the people. And what would happen is the firstborn son of every family would die. That was the judgment. But there would be a way to avoid that judgment. God, in his grace and in his mercy, provided, as he does, a way of salvation so that those people would not come under the judgment, would not experience the judgment hand of God. They would know the grace of God. And God says to them, take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and you sacrifice that, you kill it. And that lamb, in fact, will serve as a substitute. Show you have sheltered under that lamb by putting the blood on the door frames. And when the angel of death comes... As he will on an appointed time, when judgment comes upon the land, when he sees this blood applied, he will accept that as a sign. And no one in that household will come under the judgment of God because a sacrifice has been made, a substitute has been given, is sheltered under, and he will pass over. And they always remembered that. They always remember that. And so annually they were called to remember this event in the Passover. It was truly significant for them. And we're going to think today, and I might mention this a few times, 
that this is going to be the last Passover. It's going to be the last Passover that the Lord Jesus Christ would keep with his disciples. He was keen to keep it with them. He was eager. He was going to transform the Passover. But because at this very Passover, he would be the fulfillment of all those lambs that had been killed. The Bible tells us that the blood of lambs and goats and all that animals cannot take away our sin and deal with it. But the Lord Jesus Christ, described as the Lamb of God, would, would, be, would go to the cross and he himself would bake in his body the punishment for sin. So whoever trusts in him as their saviour will never themselves come under the punishment from God for their sin. They could look at Jesus Christ and say, he is my substitute. He has borne my sin in his body on the tree. He is my saviour. He would be the fulfillment of all these things. He would be that lamb who would go to that cross and bear the sins of his people. Now, you might remember right at his birth, he was called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. There was no doubt what he would accomplish. Everything that was intended to be accomplished in his life upon this earth and his death upon the cross, he would accomplish it exactly as he intended it to do. Nothing could thwart that. Which is kind of interesting because we see these people in their hatred the chief priests and the scribes who had had enough of Jesus Christ, they did not like being called they were sinners in need of a savior. They didn't like the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ ate with sinners. They didn't like that. And so they were so disappointed in him, they were so set against him, they refused to repent and believe the gospel that they sought to eliminate him. But you'll see it's very interesting in verse 2. They themselves, not during the feast. Not during this feast. We, we're not going to do it during then uh, because that's going to cause an uproar. There have been plenty of times when they had sought to kill him. Luke chapter 4 says they'd try to throw him off a cliff. But they didn't. John chapter 8 says they tried to pick up stones to stone him in previous times. But none of them happened. Though they'd sought to kill him, they could not, because it was not God's appointed time. And in a little touch of irony, when they say not during the feast, well, that might have been their idea, but it was God's appointed time. It was God's appointed time that at the Passover, the one who was the true Passover lamb himself would die upon the cross at that time. And so the religious leaders in their hatred that had built up wanted to eliminate him out of their lives. But then what we see is in this stark contrast in the next section is this worship of a forgiven woman. 
And Mark seems to put it there like a, a diamond against a black cloth. Not that I've bought many diamonds, you'll understand. I don't know much about them at all, but I'm, I'm informed that if you do go to buy one, uh, the jeweler puts it on a dark cloth. And the reason for that, I'm really out of my experience level now, but the reason for that apparently is so the diamond shines brightly set in contrast to the darkness of the cloth. If you know any different, you can tell me afterwards, but that's what I believe what happens when you put that diamond on there. And Mark has placed this incident, incident between two very black spots. One we've thought of already, the hatred of the scribes and Pharisees, the betrayal of Judas, and there he puts this wonderful incident, this wonderful incident to show to us to challenge us perhaps as well, the contrasting response of a woman who had heard the same teaching, who had seen the same things as these chief scribes and chief priests, pardon me, and the scribes, but had a totally different response. You know, it's said, and it's an old saying, you know, the same son that melts the wax is the one that hardens the clay. And it's a truth when it comes to when, when Jesus Christ is presented. That same truth can harden the hearts of some and melt the hearts of others. The hard hearts were the chief priests and the scribes, and as will think Judas. But this woman, her heart was melted in devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think, by the way, uh, and it's not too important a point, that Mark has put in this in chronological order. If you turn to, you're not, you don't have to turn to John chapter 12. I'm not going to turn to John chapter 12, but you'll see the same feast there, in my opinion, and we see it six days before the Passover. But I think Mark is saying here, this is what happened at Bethany, and this was in contrast. And that now, if you disagree with that, that's that, that's kind of immaterial. But I'm going to suggest it is that same feast in John chapter 12. And as we read, it's at Bethany, and it's the house of Simon the leper. And what a dinner occasion this would be. Because if it is the same feast, we see it's held in the house of a man who had been restored by the Lord Jesus Christ, Simon a leper. I take it he's an ex-leper. Because once he was outside of the community... And by the work and the power of Jesus Christ, he had been restored into functioning as a man should function and back in fellowship with people and back in community. And what a picture that is of what Jesus Christ does. He is the great restorer. He is the great restorer. But also at that feast as well, if it is the same one, there is a Lazarus. A Lazarus who was dead. Physically dead but had been raised to life as the Lord Jesus Christ had said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus respond. He's responded, comes out of the tomb. And again, it pictures the work of the gospel. We, we see in, in the, the Bible tells us that each and every person by nature is dead in trespasses and sins. Dead to God. Not dead physically, obviously, but dead spiritually. But God does that awakening, bringing people to life. So not just, yes, there's the restoring aspect we think about, but there is this bringing to life. 
And also at this feast as well, there's a Martha who serves, and there's a Mary, not given by name in Mark, but I think that's who it is, given by John. And we've read it, haven't we? There they all are gathered. The disciples are there. I, Simon's there. Mary, Martha, Lazarus are there, and maybe some others as well. It's some occasion. And she does something that no one else does on this occasion. She is one, if it is Mary, who has sat at the feet of Jesus Christ on other occasions and learnt from him. And she, she teaches us a valuable lesson today. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who are Christians, who have come to faith in him, that if we sit at his feet, so to speak, coming under the sound of his word and embracing his word, there must be, there should be, there has to be a response to him in this way. Sitting at his feet for her was not just an intellectual exercise so that she might have more facts in her mind about him. Oh, it touched her mind. The truth about Jesus Christ touched her in her head intellectually. Absolutely, it has to. But it didn't just stop there in that sense. It went down into her, and there was this heart response, as we're now going to think about. A heart response that acted out in her life. And that is how the truth about Jesus Christ should work, how the gospel should have an impact. Yes, we can understand it. I'm pretty sure Judas understood it. We'll think about him in a minute. But she responds. Did she understand that he would be crucified? And that in a few days' time he would be dead? It's quite possible she did. Because he'd spoken about it often enough. Chapter 8, chapter 10, we can look in Mark's gospel. He said, the son of God, you know, must be treated as he is, mistreated. He must be killed, buried, and rise again. The disciples often didn't seem to, to get that, especially the rising again part. But you just wonder... Did this woman get it? I tend to think that's highly oh. likely. Highly likely, because Jesus says, as we're going to think about this, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She has anointed it for burial. She comes with this alabaster jar, a small stone flask, a slender neck, I'm sure we can picture it, so we've got kind of a bowl thing at the bottom. We've got a neck going up made of alabaster. And within this is a pint of costly perfume made of pure nard, which probably comes from India, possibly a family heirloom passed down, maybe something like that. We, we're not told that that's not so important. It's not important at all, really, to be honest. But it's hers. And she can do with that whatever she wants. We are told that it's worth, the contents, pardon me, not the vase itself, the contents is worth 300 denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wages. So I've sort of put this into modern terms for you. If you were paid the minimum wage for an adult in this country, then if you were working 40 hours a week, and let's assume you're going to work 50 weeks a year, because that was easier to calculate than 52 you're on, this is £24,000. 
£24,000 in today's money. She's holding. Wow. You know, people used to buy me an aftershave for Christmas. My parents did, and that was when it was about £15. And now it's £60, and no one buys it, and certainly I don't buy it for myself now. I mean, that's fine. So it's Brute 33 or something equivalent. So, but here we go. £24,000. And she has a choice what to do. And she sees the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is worthy of her devotion. He is worthy of her love and of her worship. I'm sure she's realizing, as a believer, she knows that it is only through him she is going to be, or she is forgiven. And her forgiveness is based upon the work that he will do at the cross. What is coming out? She is saved on the basis of what he will do. And there's no other basis, no good works or anything that would enable her to be forgiven for her sin. And I do think she's understanding of that. And she breaks the neck of that jar. Now, once she breaks the neck of the jar, that's it. You know, the expensive aftershave I used to have, you could squirt a little bit and there was lots left. Uh, Or you could sort of, sometimes you get jars, you can put a cork in them, can't you? You do that. But once you break this jar, that's it. It's a once-only experience. And she sees the Lord Jesus Christ, and she uh, anoints his head, Mark tells us. John says he does, she does his feet. Now, both things can be true of the same incident, of course. You've just seen them on different aspects. So the, the whole room is going to be filled with this fragrant aroma. And people look on. There's this is one person who has showed her devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one person who has said that he is altogether worthy of this show of devotion, of love that she had for him. Here was a person who had such love for the Lord Jesus Christ that she would put upon him something in our money which is worth £24,000. And she could have done whatever she want. Friends, there is a person whose heart has truly been touched in love for Jesus Christ. It's unequivocal, isn't it? No one can dispute that at all. That she loved the one who had came into this world, the one who was God, who took on flesh and came as a servant to give his life as a ransom for many, but a ransom for her. Wow. She poured out the perfume, and it was a show of pouring out her heart in gratitude and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, none of us is going to break a jar of perfume over his head and his feet. That's impossible physically. But if we are followers of Jesus Christ, there should be acts of devotion, acts of worship that are costly to some degree. Not so we might obtain salvation, but we realize all that he is that he is the only saviour and he is worthy of worship. If our worship and our devotion and our service cost nothing, then we need to question, don't we? Are we really loving him?
Are we really devoted to him? It's interesting to read the response. It's sad to read the response, isn't it? There's the response of those present. It's wasted. Wasted. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? That they look at this act of worship, this act of devotion. They see this woman who loved him. They say she's wasted it. She should have sold it and give it to the poor. They scolded her. Now, they thought it, as we see, most of them thought of it in themselves. John tells us that um, Judas vocalized that. But others thought it. He wasn't the only one who thought that. He vocalized it, but others thought it. We read that. They scolded her. Not just he scolded her. They scolded her. And maybe what it was, they were one aspect there, just focused on the material and physical material and physical they're just very pragmatic and anything that is like this is worthless or maybe it was pride maybe more likely it was pride yes because we are proud and they realized that she loved them him more than they did she had done something that they was completely out of their minds to do they didn't think anything about doing something like this didn't come into their heads at all but she did. And when, when, when she does it, they're convicted about that. And they've got to say something. And they decide to say, it's wrong what you've done. Maybe speaks to our hearts sometimes. You know, those who are believers see other believers devoted to Christ and doing service of Christ and questioning what they're doing. It's pride. But there's a response that matters, isn't there, in this? There's only one response what matters doesn't matter what they respond. It's not good how they respond. And we can be impacted by how people respond. We all understand that. But there is this response of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop troubling her. You're wrong. She has done, in my translation, a beautiful thing to me. Now, in some translations, it's she has done a good thing. Interestingly, there's, there's a couple of words can be translated to, to be good from the original language. And you can do something was good, but not out of love. I could give money to someone today who needs it, but I could do it not with a heart of love and sincerity for them. I could just do it because I think that's the right thing to do. That's, but it would be good to do it. But this is not what is seen here. This is good done out of a heart of love and desire for him. And that's a different type of good. And that's what Jesus says. So that's why many of our translations say, not good, it is beautiful. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the true verdict that matters. It is beautiful. He tells them, of course, you will always have the poor. And you you, you can do good to them wherever you want. You know, they'd put this up as a sort of, I'm going to be honest, I think, just to sort of, here's, a, here's something we need to say, why she shouldn't have done this. He said, well, you can, you can show kindness to the poor whenever you want, and you should. But I'm not always going to be here. I'm not always going to be here. And here's, a, here's something which should teach us and comfort us. For those who are believers in Jesus Christ, she has done what she could. She has done what she could her loving and costly devotion was rewarded by his verdict and that was the only one what mattered 
And let me just bring it into ourselves today for you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus knows what you have and all about you. And what he asks for you as he empowers you and as he gifts you is to do what you can, to do what you can. Wouldn't it be wonderful when I come face to face with the Lord Jesus, when you come face to face with the Lord Jesus, as every believer will at the judgment seat of Christ, to be told you did what you could. Sometimes we're apt to look at other people in negative or positive ways and compare ourselves. And comparison, as someone has once said, is the thief of joy. Concentrate on yourself and do what you can do. Because that's what the Lord said. She did what she could do. And he says, this will be a memorial. And wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You know, uh, there's a a marker there that the good news about Jesus Christ is not going to be confined to one country. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying, hey, this is going to go, this message about me, this good news about me, this good news about salvation is going to go for the whole world and is for the whole world to hear. And wherever, wherever it's preached, she will be known. That's what we're doing today. But, you know, then we see the darkness again after this loving act of devotion. And there's Judas. He'd been with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years. He had seen the miracles. He had heard the fantastic teaching. The evidence was all before him. But Judas was not, was in this for himself. He was in this for himself. In this case, he was in it for money. And the Lord knew that. He was a thief from the treasury, taken money. But he was in it for himself. We can say the principle was this. Judas, something else meant more to him than Jesus. And when he could get that something else, he was willing to betray or walk away from Jesus. Now, of course, that boils down in today as well. No one knew except the Lord that Judas wasn't genuine. Didn't know that. And can I just bring before you as well that today it's possible to be amongst those who are genuine. It's possible to be amongst those who are sincere followers of Jesus Christ and not be yourself genuine the unbeliever can sing the songs attend the meetings be friends with believers enjoy the gathering enjoy the social aspect have family members who are genuine but truly in their hearts are far away from Christ and no one else around might know that. You know, let me say this today. The grace of God does reach out to such as those who know, who are convicted that they're living a double life, who are 
know inside they've been convicted they're not genuine associated with the lord's people but not really one of his people and if that refers to you today then god's grace reaches out to repent and trust in jesus christ while it is the opportune time while it is the day of salvation he will not turn any who turn away from him now judas made the decision in his heart to be hard-hearted and go away. He desired money more than Jesus. Could be, for other people, they desire something else more than Jesus when it comes to it. And people have betrayed Jesus, who seem to be associated with him for a variety of different reasons. But lastly, and just finally and quickly, there's the, the willing disciples. Two of them. Now, again, Mark doesn't record the names, and uh, John does, and John says there is uh, Peter and John. Or Matthew tells us, pardon me, Matthew tells us it's Peter and John. Uh, And they ask, where are we going to eat the Passover? And the Lord Jesus Christ tells them uh, to go into the city. It's a plan shrouded in secrecy, it seems a bit. It seems to be pre-planned that there's going to be a man carrying a jar of water. That would be unusual because ladies all often did that. So a man carrying a jar of water would be quite unusual. You'll spot him and you'll go uh, uh, follow him and then you'll meet the master of the house. It's not him. But this master, uh, he will know me. Because when you say to him, the teacher says, he'll know who you're referring to. The teacher says, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And these willing disciples, Peter and John, and even up to this point in their walk with Jesus Christ, had made quite a few mistakes. John at one time and his brother had sort of asked for to be high places in the kingdom. They had also suggested at one time that fire might come down from heaven and uh, burn up a, a village of Samaritans who had turned from Jesus Christ. Not good. Uh, and Peter had even said to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, you're not going to go to the cross. That, that, that's not, that shouldn't be in the plan. That made big mistakes. But you know what encourages me and perhaps should encourage you if you're a believer is this, that they could still serve. Even though they've made huge mistakes. And they go into Jerusalem, they find the guest room and they prepare it. The word prepare is three times in this passage. They prepare, they made ready, verses 12, 15 and 16. But what is really interesting in God's plan, as I've said already, Jesus would eat this Passover, this last one, with his disciples. Nothing was going to thwart that. This would be the last Passover, really, that anyone would need to eat. Because then, after this, the next day, he's going to be crucified. At the Passover feast, as we'll think next week, he changes the Passover of the old covenant, marked by the shedding of lamb's blood, into the new covenant. This is my body given for you. This is my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Drink the cup, pardon me. He would be the fulfillment of all of that. And those willing disciples did what they could to prepare the Passover for him. 
But he did what only he could do to prepare a place for them. He would say, I go to prepare a place for you. And when he goes to the cross, takes the punishment for sin, he is making it prepared that anyone who trusts in him can be in a right relationship with God and be in a place in heaven. They prepared, but he would make the greatest preparation of all. And so we ask, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want rid of him, really? Is it going to be devotion? Is something else better? Do you desire to serve him? There's really only two responses, positive or negative. And we all will respond today. I'm going to close in prayer. Let us just be quiet for 30 seconds. Contemplate that as we bow our heads. Then I'll close in prayer. Then our meeting will be over. Let's have just a time of quiet, 30 seconds. Our God and our Father, we bow in your presence now. We thank you for your word that speaks powerfully and clearly to each and every one of us, presents to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thought of those today and we thought of different responses. We pray that you will speak to us. And by your grace, enable each and every one of us individuals here, no matter how old, how young, that we might respond to the Lord Jesus in the right way. Confess that he truly is Lord and trust him as our saviour. Help us to do that. For your glory and for his honour, we ask it in his name. Amen.